Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So how was it? <laughs> it was good, like I like it. It's wonderful to be intimate with the man that I love. He makes me feel like I'm beautiful. That's my man, he's my summit. <laughs> it was amazing, baby. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> oh man. A making love was passionate. Now she can totally dominate thing like kind of thing. That's what I like. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry, hoping and praying that you cannot hear the construction noises that are happening outside. Let's talk about the show, shall we? We don't have to talk about Darcy and Stacey anymore. I'm feeling like a true sense of renewed vigor in the fact that I don't have to talk about three hours of content. I only have to talk about two. (laughs) This is a real treat for me. Let's start with Jenny and Sumit. They had the least to talk about this week. So um, after Sumit stood up for Jenny, talked to his parents, all of that, uh, Jenny, uh, you know, I wanted to show him how proud and happy I was. So she, you know, took those jeans off, the skinny jeans, and was like, you know what, Sumit? There's a meeting in the ladies' room. And the ladies' room is my vagina. Um, they're in bed in like a post-coital glow, and Smeet's asking her how it was, and Jenny starts to choke. <laughs> she starts choking, coughing. Sumit lets us know a little bit more about their sex life, and he says that Jenny is actually really dominating in the bedroom, and that's what he likes. Sumit is a submissive. And I love that for him, you know, live your best life, man. I'm wondering, and I don't know why I'm wondering this because Jenny and Smith's sex life is like the one thing that I really don't want to talk about, but I'm wondering like, is this the first time that they've had sex and she's been back in India? Because they're making a really big deal out of it. Sumit, Jenny, what's happening here? I, I, again, I have a lot of questions, but I really don't want them answered. So let's move on. She's feeling so happy from being dicked down that she pulls out uh, from her bedside desk table a ring for Sumit. And is like, you know what? I want to show this. I want to give this to you as a show of appreciation. And 
I'm just like, thank God that ring that she pulled out was for her his finger and not some other appendage of his. Sumit is mm, not really that into it. He wants to go about things the right way. And says, you know, in India, it's tradition to have like a whole ring ceremony to announce your engagement and your impending marriage. And so I don't really want this ring now because we're not doing things the right way. And Jenny says that she's actually kind of embarrassed that he turned her down. But, you know, even though people think that I'm naive, I really know that one day we are actually going to get married. So, uh, I mean, she is naive. <laughs> and she's probably the most naive, what, 60-something, 50-something-year-old woman that I've ever, ever come across. But... I do think that Sumit really wants to get married to her. I don't know how he's going to do it. But it seems like he does. And I feel like... Uh, I mean, his parents said, we're not ever going to approve of you marrying this old bitch. So... I think he needs to be a little bit more honest with her. And a little bit more honest with himself. Like, are you going to do what you have to do? Meaning... Basically separate yourself from your family in order to marry her? Or are you going to live for your parents' approval and, you know, let that determine whether or not you're going to continue in this relationship? That's something he really needs to tell her. Because it seems like something that's weighing on his mind, but I don't think he's really expressing that to her as much as he should be. So anyway, we find out that Sumit's wife, in addition to the 20 grand that she's supposed to be getting in the divorce, she and her father have filed complaints against not only Sumit, but his brother and his parents file um, complaints of like physical torture, uh, verbal abuse, that sort of thing. And because of that, she wants an additional $500 a month. Now, Jenny keeps saying, like, oh, we can't afford that. We can't even afford the $20,000. Like, how are we going to do this to me? And I just want to know, like, Jenny, you're not putting, you have no, not a single coin, not a rupee in this game. You're not paying for anything. His parents just gave his life, their life savings to help this man get divorced. You're not paying for a damn thing. And in fact, don't we remember in America you were, you know, living on your daughter's couch? What are you paying for? <laughs> That's what I want to know. And what is Sumit paying for? Does he still have his job at the call center? We never hear him talk about it. Maybe that's just like a production thing, but it doesn't seem like he's working either. I, what's going on? What's going on, you guys? <sighs> The next day, he has to go to court. So he goes to court with his friend to defend himself against the claims. And thank God those charges get dropped. So he is no longer, he has that, you know, he no longer has to pay the $500. That's not on the table anymore. And all he has to do is they have to have another court date. And at that point, he'll owe, so he's already paid 10 of the $20,000 that he owed. So the next court date, he will pay the extra $10,000 and that'll be it. He should get his papers. His divorce papers should go through after that. Thank God. Thank God for that. Um, let's go on to Armando and Kenny, shall we? So... Everything worked out as well as could be expected in terms of Armando saying goodbye. He said, you know, I had this picture in my head of what it would be like to have my family say goodbye to me. And I had that complete picture. My father said goodbye. My mother said goodbye. You know, it was all I, all that I could ask for. So Hannah is in the back seat. And she said, she asked her dad how he feels about living with Kenny. And Armando says, you know, I'm really content and I'm happy. And he asked Hannah how she feels. And she's like, you know, I'm excited to live with him. So their main storyline this week is like how Kenny has completely fumbled the ball in terms of 
assimilating into the culture that he's about to live in and not learning Spanish. Kenny asks to have Armando translate what it is, the conversation that they're saying. And Armando's like, either you're going to have to learn Spanish or Hannah's going to have to learn English. And Kenny's like, well, you know what, which one it's going to be. <laughs> so, um, Kenny then makes a comment about like, you guys could be completely talking crap about me and I would have no idea. And I just like, I don't love that narrative. I don't love it. Um, Kenny then says, I really didn't know how big a deal this was going to be. Like me not learning Spanish. And I just thought I would be able to skate by on the Spanish that I do know, which is very, pretty much nothing. Why did you think that? I mean, maybe if like I'm thinking in his mind, like, okay, did you think Mexico is close enough to America? People probably know English, but I mean, I think that's really putting your, a lot of, you know, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying. That's, that's a big conjecture that you're making. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they get home. Hannah's so excited to see her new room. This is her first room by herself. She and Armando used to share a bed together. She's so excited. She's got two little twin beds. And she can pick which one. She's like, I want to sleep next to the closet because it's closer to my toys. She is like so happy. And they go to bed. They put her to bed. And she's like, oh, read me a story. And... Armando reads her book about having two dads. Again, it makes me cry. Kenny and Hannah tell each other they love each other. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful time. That doesn't really last very long. (laughs) Because the next day, they go to a, like, an open-air market. Kenny's first thing is, like, why is there a baby in the box under this table? Like a real live baby. Why is it in a, in a box? Is it for sale? Is the baby for sale? <laughs> Armada's like, no, the baby's not for sale. Clearly it is the shopkeeper lady's baby. And they're doing the best that they can. Kenny, you can't buy this baby. <sighs> Lord. So Hannah's what? Six years old? There's, you know, a lot of things that are being sold, like little hair bows and purses and like cute things that kids would want and she's going from table to table like I want this I want that can I get a bow can I get a purse can I do this can I get ice cream get it you know something that I would think would be very typical of a child under the age of 10 now Kenny is very put off by this behavior he doesn't like that she continuously is asking for stuff he says that, you know, I was basically like a drill sergeant dad. This would never happen. And how do I say, let's get away from this table. So, vente, shall we? Um, so they sit down for dinner or for a meal. Clearly, Armando has to order for them. And Kenny's like, oh, she didn't speak English, did she? She's like, what if I was here by myself? Like, I would have, I needed you to be able to order food for us. And this is continuously wearing thin with Armando. And he was like, you know, since you don't have a job right now, maybe you should start taking some Spanish lessons. You think? Because I'm starting to feel like I'm raising two people at this point and uh, not loving it. Not having fun. (laughs) So uh, then, you know, and he also says, you know, I feel like you should learn Spanish since he's in a Spanish speaking country. Thank you, Armando. Hello. Hello and thank you. (sighs) Hola and gracias. Okay. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So... They're eating, and Hannah is whispering into Armando's ear, like, can I get a purse or maybe some ice cream? And Kenny's like, what's happening here? And she's like, oh, she wants some ice cream or a purse. And he's like, what has she done to deserve ice cream? He's like, it's a hot day. We've been here. She's been complying for the most part. She's been behaving. She hasn't run off. It's hot. She can have an ice cream cone. And, you know, Kenny's a little bit critical and he's like, you know, if I'm going to be the stepfather, I need to, you know, have a hand at disciplining and telling her that she can't just have everything. And you really like, you're letting her negotiate with you over whether she can have a purse or an ice cream. Like, basically, she's playing you. And Armando's like, I'm not really loving your tone right now. I understand that we're all in this together, but like you have to figure out a different way to communicate with me, especially when it comes to parenting. Didn't appreciate the tone. So it it's like they both have these like realizations at the same time, different ones. Kenny realizing the gravity of what it's going to be like to be a stepfather is like, I want to be a father to her and I can't, we can't even communicate with each other. So he's now realizing, yeah, I should probably learn some Spanish. And Armando's realizing, you know, he tells Kenny, I give Hannah a lot. I do spoil her. I fully admit that. But A, she is for the most part a very well-behaved child. And B, she lost her mother. And, you know, I try to kind of replace that happiness with the loss that she has had to endure by not having a mom. Like, I know that's probably not how I should be doing things, but that's how it's being done at the moment. And I do really need to rethink that. I can't spoil her because her mom's not here. And so they basically like come to sort of a, an agreement, an arrangement of like, yeah, we both need to be rethinking how we parent And how we're going to co-parent Hannah. Okay, moving on to Jihoon and Devin. The kids are with the parents, with Jihoon's parents. And um, Devin decides to go to Jihoon's job to um, watch him and be critical of him, basically. (laughs) So he's like, I really don't want to have her come to my job with me, but I can't get out of this. So he is... He was doing delivery, but he's decided to go back to selling phones, which, as we all know, is the reason why he ended up $30,000 in debt because he was buying um, some five-finger discount phones and selling them to other people. But it seems like this store is, like, a legit establishment. So they walk into the store, and all the employees and the owner are like, why is she here? Why is she here? <laughs> Women, wives don't usually come to the, the husband's place of work. Um, Like I said, Jihoon is definitely embarrassed, but he's like, you know what? This is, I guess this is my karma for uh, getting in trouble before with stealing phones. And they're sitting down. He's going through the phones. He's looking at the phones that the owner gave him to like check out see if he wants to be able to sell them so Devin is asking a lot of questions she's like okay so just so we're clear Jihoon got in trouble for selling these used phones or these stolen phones we're good on that right like this is all like a legit operation he's like yeah yeah everything's fine and then they interview the shop owner and was like I actually had no idea 
that Ji Hoon had been selling stolen phones uh, until now, but I guess I trust him <laughs> to not do the same thing again. So, Devin says, says, she keeps asking questions. She's like, well, what is it that you do? And Jihoon explains that he just buys these broken phones. Like, people sell their used broken phones. He buys them from this store. And then he'll sell them to people. And Devin's like, so you don't fix these phones? You just sell them to people who then fix them? Wouldn't you make a lot more money if you fix them yourself and sold them for a higher price? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't have that skill. I don't know how to do that. And the shop owner's like, you know what? She's kind of right. Like you really should learn how to do that. And then he gets pissed off. <laughs> Devin wants to do the absolutely, excuse me, Jihoon wants to do the absolute least in order to get money. And like, I get that. But also... It's just so funny to me that he's like, damn, I got caught. Devin did make a very good point. And he agreed. The shop owner agreed like, ah, oh, fuck y'all. <laughs> he tells Devin to mind her business and take care of the children. <laughs> oh, this isn't funny. Like I would literally whop him upside the head if, if any man said that to me. But something about Jihoon. Are we all on the same... Like, Jihoon is an objectively poor partner, husband, father. But I guess just because I don't personally have to deal with him, I think he is funny. (laughs) And that's, like, a flaw that I'm going to have to work through. And I get that. But as of now, I'm laughing. So, Devin is like, okay, I'll sit there and take care of the children if you want, but you got to be bringing home the money, which uh, another fair point, girl. So they then meet up with Jihoon's parents. So Devin has been really adamant about getting the actual wedding of her dreams because the ceremony that they had was just like, you know, it was very traditional Korean ceremony, not like a, I don't want to call it a real wedding, but like in her mind, a real wedding. Um, the, you know, the, the sort of wedding that she has been fantasizing about since she's a child. So they go to this venue. The parents already booked this place. They go to the venue and it's like, apparently like a very famous wedding hall venue situation. So famous that they have multiple weddings a day to the point where they have lockers (laughs) the lady gives them points out the lockers so every bride and groom has like 12 o'clock bride and groom here's your locker you can put your stuff in it one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock rock all of you guys can put your your shit in your locker and that's how we keep things organized so Devin has more questions she's like I don't get this so the place imagine you know if you guys don't watch the show imagine what this place looks like it looks like a wedding hall it looks like a wedding hall at like a mega church like one of those like mega churches that play you know like sometimes they'll do hip-hop but mostly it's like acoustic guitar and you know women with like big choppy hair you know like hipster christian mega church right very typical why does devin look at it and she's like what is this what is this runway is this a runway and jihoon's like it's an aisle the aisle that you walk down with your father and she's like oh (laughs) how does she not know what it looks like an aisle girl it looks like every single aisle that you see in a regular Christian church or whatever church in America. It did not look any different from anything that she would have seen in a church in Utah, in a church, wherever the fuck. Why would she was so confused about the concept of a, what she refers to as a runway? It's literally, it's an aisle. It's, it's an aisle, Devin. Um, 
listen, like, is the place kind of sterile? Yeah. Is it weird? No. Is it somehow different because it's in Korea? I think that's maybe what Devin is thinking, but it really didn't look any different from anything else that we have here, honestly. So, the, you know, they're saying the date that you picked. So Devin's thinking like, you know, typical American wedding. We're going to have a ceremony. She wants to have it in the evening and then we'll, you know, have drinks and food and dancing. Standard issued American wedding. So she finds out that the they booked their wedding for 11 o'clock and they only have one hour to finish the entire ceremony. To which Devin is now horrified. She's like, I, what about the food? What about dancing? And everybody laughs at her. <laughs> They're like, no, girl, we don't get down like that. People in Korea are very busy. They don't make entire days out of weddings like they do where you're from. That's just not what we do. So now Devin is very upset. She says her whole childhood dream is destroyed. And this this is like a surprise party that you didn't really want to even have. So she finally is like, okay, you know, it's just really important to me that I have at the very least like a father-daughter dance where I dance with my father and you dance with Drusilla. Can we at least do that? And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. She's devastated. Devastated. To which I ask, I know that there have been, she kind of alluded to the fact that like, yeah, Jihoon could be living in America, but something about one of her family members tried to sell her into trafficking or something? I don't know. She seemed to allude to the fact that there would be imminent danger if she continued to stay in America. But to me, it's like, if you want all of these things, there's really no... You know, there's really not anything holding you back from living in America aside from that trafficking law, which seems like somebody should be in jail for that. I, I have questions, but just if you want things done the American way, then you should just be in America. Why are we, I mean, that really could be the, the second title from 90 day the other way. Like. Why am I not just in America? <laughs> Basically. I thought it was very bratty behavior from her. And especially because more than a lot of the women that we see go to these other countries, she seems more into the culture that she is going into. But then we have these moments where she's like, it just doesn't make sense. And she's very like othering them and making it feel like their traditions are strange or different and different in a bad way. And I just like, I don't like that. And it's like, if you don't like it, then go home, take your ass back to Utah. And I mean, that's what she did eventually. So I guess, you know, how much complaining can I do? A lot, but we'll move on. Let's talk about Ariella and Binyam. All right, so they're going home from the hospital that day, and Ariella's like, they just let you go home? Like, why aren't people supposed to check out the parents to make sure that everything, that they can raise a child? They just let you go home with the baby? And it's like, yeah, girl, I mean, how old are you? <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean, girl? She... Looks great in the hospital. But unfortunately, we're back to her new interview look. And she's, you know, got a new adventure on the upper part of her face with her eyebrows. And this time it's serious. Do you guys remember? I'm sure there are a lot of teachers that probably still use this. But, like, I'm thinking back to elementary and middle school days where they had that thick marker that was like silver on the outside. The label was silver. The cap was black and it had the big chunky mark. I don't even know what you call it. Like felt, not, felt tip. I don't know. The big chunky tip and the one that like was so stinky that like surely 
we're all slightly brain damaged from that that odor, right? It's like she drew it on with that marker. And like at this point, I feel like Ariel is doing this to me on purpose to make me mad and upset me. Like why? 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 So Ari wants to know how it is that they're going to go home. Meaning we don't have a car seat. How are we all going to go home? And Binyam's like, well, we'll just drive. My friend's going to take us. We're right down the street from the hospital. It won't be that big a deal. And she's like, no, you have to walk the baby. We don't have a car seat. Not happening. And he's like, and then she goes, do you understand what a car seat's for? Ariella, girl. He's like, yeah, I know it's for safety. And I don't disagree with you, but... It's not the law. We're going very short way. It'll be fine. Now, I agree. Please, like, put the baby in a car seat. However, she makes him walk with the baby. And given what we are able to see of the traffic and stuff, I kind of agreed with Binyam. He's like, it's probably less safe for me to be walking this baby on the side of the street than it would be for me to like hold it in the car. It's a tough issue, but I didn't disagree with Binyam. So they all meet up. She takes a ride in the car with Binyam's friend, Binyam, and and he drives her and Binyam actually tries to get in the car and she's like, no, get out. You're walking. So they all meet up at the house and who do they meet? A bunch of family members, I'm assuming, holding six that are on fire. And Ariel is like, what is this? There's also a sheep there that's going to be slaughtered right in front of them. And she's like, huh? (laughs) So she had no idea that this was like a welcome home baby sort of situation. You ceremoniously slaughter a sheep and that's like a good omen a good sign for the baby Ariel's like okay she's clearly rattled she's shaking she starts to cry Binyam's like no this is all for you and Ariel's like that actually makes it worse because now I'm responsible for the slaughter of this animal (laughs) I don't want to watch this so Honestly, she takes it, you know, she even says thank you. And she tells in an interview, like, I think that we might be a little bit too different culturally. And she's starting this narrative of like her feeling like she's out of control, feeling like these people are railroading over her, feeling like she's basically in over her head and she's being pressured to do a lot of the things that she doesn't want to do for the sake of Binyam and his culture. So then Ari, you know, slaughter complete. Ari is like, okay, let me take my recently cut open stomach and ass into bed. Soon she gets settled into the bed. All of Binyam's aunts come to the house and they're, like, oh, we want to hold the baby. The baby's asleep. And she's like, Ugh, I really just want to take a nap. But then the baby ends up waking up. She's like, all right, well, I guess now is a good time as any. You can hold the baby. Apparently it's custom for them and it's tradition that the elders have to hold the baby because it's going to help with any possible stomach issues that happen. So then they want to know about the baptism. And Binyam's like, well, the priest told me that the mom needed to be a Christian. She hasn't converted. She's not going to convert. Um, but that's why we haven't did it, done it. And they're like, oh, no, that's not a problem. That's that's not the case at all. You can do the baptism through the father's side. So we're going to do it. Thank you. We're just going to go ahead and take care of that. And Ari's like, well, since he was born early, I... Hadn't really had time to think about the baptism thing. And one of his aunts is like, well, you can hide from other people, but you can't hide from God. And that baby needs to be baptized. 
<sighs> so then they all leave and Ari's like, listen, I didn't really want to be mean to them because I don't want them to hate me, but you know that this is not what I want. This is not how I'm, I'm not feeling this, not feeling it at all. Vinny was like, you know what? I don't want to fight you about this, but it is a really, really big deal to me. And I'm only asking this one thing of you. So buckle up, Betty. Ari's again says she feels railroaded by this whole situation. And then they start to talk about the baby name. She wanted to name the baby Aviel. He wanted to name the baby Gabriel. Um, but Penny was like, you know what? The baptism and the christening is actually the most important thing for me. So she can have the name. She can name him Aviel. I'm fine. As long as we can get this kid baptized. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So they're going to name him Aviel Binyam Shabray. So, yeah, basically, he's like, okay, you can have the name. I just want the christening. So they're going back and forth on it. And she, her deal with the christening is that the christening in the Christian religion or in his religion specifically is supposed to save the baby from going to hell and because she's Jewish she doesn't believe in hell but then she's also saying I just don't want them to be talking about hellfire and brimstone and all this and that around the baby I don't want the baby to be traumatized and I want to be like first of all the baby's seven days old I don't he's fine secondly if you don't believe in it then it's really nothing to you, right? Like, there's really no consequence to, if you don't believe in it, it's just some water going on the baby's head, right? Maybe you have a little sheet cake. I don't know what they do in Ethiopia. I don't know. Um, so eventually she comes around to that conclusion and is like, I, you know, fine, fine. But I really don't, I'm not going to convert and I want this child to be raised, raised Jewish. So I'll just let you have the, uh, the christening. I feel like honestly, I hope she's taking into account that she's getting much more out of the situation than Binyam is. Like he now has a baby that he, with a name that he doesn't even like the baby's not going to raise, be raised up in the same religion as him. Really probably not have any sort of tie to his Ethiopian culture. Um, you know, if he hadn't been living, if they hadn't been living in Ethiopia, he probably would really have no ties to it. So I really hope that she's considering that. So here's another thing. They take, they take Aviel to get, uh, his checkup, his vaccines in the Jewish religion. The baby on the eighth day gets circumcised. Fortunately, at first, Ethiopian men tend to circumcise. So this is like the one thing that where like his culture and her religion actually collides. <sighs> but then we find out that Ari doesn't even want him to get circumcised. But guess who's getting in trouble for that? Banya. She's blaming it on him. And she's like, what if he grows up and he doesn't want me? And, you know, he becomes a men's right activist and he gets mad at me and he resents me for for taking the skin off of him and 
And it's like, okay, well, that's also part of your religion, you know? But it's also, she's like kind of taking her religious part off the table and then making it a whole Binyam thing. Even Binyam says, you know, if, if anything happens and he ends up being upset with me, I'll take it. I'll handle it. And I'll, she's like, great. You're going to take the blame for this one. Love it. Thank you. So they're in the hospital. She has to go to the bathroom. The baby gets, baby's already had his shots taken. Obviously he's upset. Then they're waiting to get the circumcision. She's like, I just have to go to the bathroom real quick. So when she gets back from the bathroom, baby's gone. Abigail's gone. She's like, where's my baby? And Binyam's like, oh, he's in the back room. They're like, they're getting prepared for the circumcision. She's like, goes behind all the doors to try and find her baby. He's fine. Resting comfortably. Chilling, swaddled up, looking like an angel. And she's like, what are you guys doing? She's like, well, I'm preparing my stuff. I'm getting him ready for the circumcision, (laughs) ma'am. And she's like, well, he was just so traumatized from those shots. I, you know, I just don't want him to be upset again. We, I, He's just calmed down. And it's like, I completely understand how she is a new mom. She's in mama bear mode. She's feeling very precious and protective over her child. I get all of that. But it's also like, you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and I understand you probably even feel some type of way about the fact that like, when she got back from the bathroom, he was gone. And nobody had spoken to her about that. I I get it. I give her all the credit in the world for that. But it's also like, you knew what you were going to be taking, what what was going to be happening. So then she takes the baby <laughs> out of, off the table that he was sitting in. And she's like, I'm not doing this. And the doctor and the nurse are like, what the hell's going on? Why is she taking the baby? They're confused as to what's going on. She takes the baby and she goes out to the car. <laughs> They're asking Binyam what is happening. He's like, I honestly don't even know. <laughs> and that's the end of what we see from them. Also, it's worth mentioning that Binyam was a little bit critical of her. And I thought this was a weird conversation. She, they have this like back and forth about breastfeeding. And he's like, well, all you do is drink water and you don't really eat that much. So maybe the baby is... You know, he doesn't have as much energy because you're not eating more and providing energy for him and nutrients and stuff. And what did he say? He said something like, I can't remember what he said, but it was very like, she has a lot to learn about being a mom. (laughs) Damn. Damn. Then there was also this conversation they had about like, you've brought joy into my life and it just seemed it felt very like I'm trying to rewrite history because I don't have my son with me and my wife my ex-wife with me and now I found a replacement white woman (laughs) to give me a baby and now I feel like everything everything is perfect again and now I have this life that I thought you know that I had before but was taken from me that was very telling that was very very telling um, let's move on. Is it our last couple? Brittany and Yazan. <sighs> I have a lot to say about what happened this episode. So as y'all know, Brittany, when we left off, Brittany was in Chicago waiting to see if she was going to get a divorce. Yazan had just been kicked out of the family home and the family business and was briefly homeless. And now he's trying to, was trying to find a job, scrape shit together. He had just gotten an apartment and Brittany had told him that he needed to provide a plane ticket and basically take care of her while she's in Jordan. So now we see Brittany, she's back in Florida. She flew back from Chicago, went to Florida to stay with her dad She's outside in the park in a maxi dress and braids, living her best life. And she says that she hasn't really spoken to Yazan much because basically she gave him an ultimatum and told him he needed to buy her ticket as well as get an apartment for both of them and provide for her. And, oh, great. This is also conveniently bought me more time to get divorced because I'm not coming back to Jordan because I've told 
this broke man that he needed to give me a ticket. So she's in the park and she FaceTimes Yazan and, you know, he's like, you know, I've been working a lot to save money for your ticket. I got this new job at the barber shop and I'm also, um, a cab driver. I'm, she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm happy that he's finally becoming his own man. And by that, I mean, we all know that she means that he's doing everything that she is making him do. Like, he's just gone from being under his parents' watch to being under her watch. So, then he tells her, you know, because I'm now a driver, I'm working, like, 14-hour days. And she's like, oh, well, that just sounds like you need a new job. And he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) He's like, Brittany, I have told you many times over, I am not a millionaire If that's what you want, I'm not anything close to it. And she's like, you know, I don't need you to be a millionaire. I just want you to be responsible. So he hangs up on her. And then she goes, you know, she clarifies the situation and says that last time she went to Jordan, she did pay for the flights and she did pay for the apartment. And she's like, I'm not looking for a millionaire. I'm just looking for him to take care of his family not, you know, I'm not looking for shopping sprees and private jets and stuff, even though that's what I'm used to. So he should be lucky that I'm not asking him for that. What is Brittany providing to the situation? What are you providing to the relationship that Yasmin should be so incredibly grateful for? Ass? Because that's all I'm hearing. Like, what is she bringing to the table? She's asking a lot of him. And I think he's obsessed with her, but I don't think that she deserves to have him be obsessed with her because he's, she's basically ruining his whole life. <laughs> and for what? Cause she is rarely, if ever, seemingly happy around him. She doesn't even see happy. I don't even know why she wants to stay in this relationship. It's very confusing to me. So she ends up getting a hold of him again and he's like, you know what? You just make me so crazy and I'm losing everything in my life, including my family to be with you. And then she tells him, you know, I'm not trying to hear this sad little turtle story. And I think you have a victim mentality. (laughs) She says, I've given my whole life up to be with you. But I'm like, are you? Because right now you're sitting in Florida, staying with your dad after hanging out in Chicago, staying with your mother seeing your sister, seeing your sister's new baby. And from all accounts, it seems like the only thing that you've given up, Brittany, is that wig mannequin that you tried to bring to Jordan with you, but it made the luggage too heavy. So you had to throw it away. That is the only thing that I've seen her give up. Am I wrong? <laughs> like, what? what is she talking about? What is she talking about? I think she is... I don't think, okay, I don't think that Yazan is telling her the whole truth as to how bad his situation is back in Jordan, but I think he's telling her enough that it should maybe put some into perspective for her. I'm, I'm, I I don't like Brittany. I really, really don't. So then, okay, then what happens is Yazan tells her, you know, I love you. And she's like, well, you said that before, and I need to know that you're not going to switch up on me again when I come back. (sighs) So at this point, because she's still at the park, a strange, some dude hollers at her and tells her she looks good or whatever. She's like, did you hear that? He told me I look good. And given she's wearing, you know, a maxi dress, a very low V-cut dress, and he gets pissed again. And he's like, you know, I just gave up my family. And what you're doing is inappropriate and you know you need to change some things. And he hangs up on her. And she's like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, he says I need to change things, but he never is, like, explicit. He never tells me exactly what it is that I need to change. Is it? Like, he told you that he needed you to convert to Islam. He told you that he did not like your social media. He told you, his parents told you that they don't like... How the social media makes it seem like you're not invested in your relationship with him. Whether or not these things are right or wrong, they have been told to you. And I I just don't like it. 
I just don't like it. Brittany then meets up with her friend Angela at the beach. And she's apparently known Angela. Their parent, their moms were pregnant at the same time. So they've known each other their whole lives. So we find out that at this point her divorce has been finalized. She went back to Chicago. Everything went through. She's all good in the hood. And she's like, you know, Angela asked her how things are going with you, Zahn. She's like, mm. Eh. She's like, I just don't want to convert. They want me to convert when I get back. I don't want to do that. And I don't feel like I should have to. And Angela's like, you know, I don't think, I just don't see this working. Brittany is a very free spirit. And the things that they're asking for her, of her, I just don't see her being capable of doing that. (laughs) This isn't who she is. So apparently what Yazan told Brittany was that he moved out and it caused a rift within his family, which is a very different story from I was kicked out because of you and I was temporarily homeless. So he, I guess, told her that they could wait to get married. Basically all the demands that she put on that, you know, list of hers he complied to but then she says that he changed his mind and he's like oh well now he says that he really does want to get married soon that he does want me to convert to islam i think basically like she talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and then he finally is just like i'll do what you want and then he thinks about it and it was like no i'm not about to live my whole life differently for this woman And then he switches it back up, which is not fair to her because then she can use it against him. (laughs) And then she says, you know, he's giving me an ultimatum, Angela, but I'm actually going to give his ass an ultimatum. And he needs to tell his parents when I get there that he's going to be his own man, meaning he's going to do what I'm telling him now. Oh, Lord, a hot mess. And I can't wait because we saw in a preview where somebody said, to where she goes back to Jordan and somebody tells her that he, somebody wants to murder his son. And I really can't wait. Like, I'm very sorry that he's in the situation, but I can't wait for her to finally realize that all the bullshit that she has put on this man actually has consequences so she can get it through those braces of hers. And with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Go ahead and give me a five star review. If you can, I would be very grateful and it helps me get noticed on the charts. I love you guys. 